Hello and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. We're kicking off a new series today called Grapeseed Greatest Hits. In each episode, we will talk in great detail about three of the most popular materials in the curriculum. Joining me on this first episode is Miklos. So it's a bit of a hybrid this and that with the new Grapeseed Greatest Hits. Very meta, I know. So welcome to the podcast, Miklos. It is great to be back. All right. For a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of Grapeseed Greatest Hits. So let's start with one of my personal favorites, Party in the Barn from Unit 5. Yes, Party in the Barn. There's a lot of barn talk in Grapeseed, right? And, yeah, uh, Unit 4, Unit 5. Right. Even later, you know, with all the all the you know, music in the barn and stuff like that later on. But, 14, uh, 15, yeah. Yeah, lots of barns and farms and, you know, mice eating corn and stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> it's like a nice, warm, kind of burlap kind of feeling. Do you have any personal anecdotes from teaching this material back in the day? Party in the barn? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of teachers will relate to this. Um, I can't, I can't identify like one particular instance. It's just a, uh, it's a, it's a, a bunch of memories of teaching this all kind of combined into one. You know, when you get to the end of the story, when you uh, you read the part, uh, melon and carrot cut the pie, and all the fruits and vegetables have something to eat, but nobody eats the seeds. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? When I first started teaching it, because I didn't, I didn't know any better. I thought, I thought I needed to teach kids. You know, what does "do you know why" mean? Uh, but you don't. It's not a question that you're asking students to answer. Uh, it's far too difficult for them to to conceptualize. But kids, they even without teaching them what "why" means, and you know what the, like it, you know, of course we don't translate the question. Do you know why? Um, but they sort of start to get it. You know, when you model answers and stuff. Uh, but it, it can get really weird when uh, kids start to get it, and then. Uh, and also because um, on Unit 5, they can kind of read some stuff, right? And mm-hmm. they can kind of read what's on the picture. Some kids will, will, will answer you at a certain point. And uh, so I'll go, I would go, do you know why? And then um, one, one little boy or girl would start to say something like, uh, baby. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, because those are the babies. I mean, in, in a cute way, the seeds are the babies. And, yeah, um, the baby fruits and vegetables, yeah. But when kids start to get that, and then of course, then they start to think about other things like, uh, like oh, they'll say, say things like, oh, uh, me eat seed, uh, and I'll say, oh yeah, have you ever eaten a seed? Like I, I was eating watermelon and I ate a seed by accident, <laughs> stuff like that, stuff that kids can relate to. Um, but you start to have these really cute conversations about um, about the things that are happening in the story, and it's you don't you don't have to quote unquote teach them the language, you know, the 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 meaning of each individual word, and oh, why. Uh, that you know, filling in uh, the the translation for that in, in the native language and everything, they they just start to they start to get it through your your gestures and your modeling and your even in your intonation. Do you know why? Um, start to get what that means, and I loved seeing that happen because also, I mean, in, back in the in unit four too, uh, with the farmer who said uh, the dancing pig, dancing pig. That's right. There's a rhetorical question at the end of that story too. You know, uh, have you know have he never saw a dancing pig? You know, have you? And it's a, it's kind of the same thing. It's just it's basically a rhetorical question that kids are just it's you just put it out there for them to think about, and they they uh, interpret it with whatever meaning that they are able to grasp at that particular moment in their learning. But over time, and 
and through the through the meaningful exposure, they start to kind of get it. And you know, answering why and because questions, uh, it doesn't become a learning objective or a language acquisition objective until a later unit. But by Eight that time, nine, yeah, yeah, because they've had this sort of pre-exposure to do you know why and this and other components. By the time you do get to something, you know, later on, like in unit nine with with the with the uh, with because and stuff like that, they already kind of get it. They're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So watching that happen is so exciting and I love it. This particular material, especially that last page you were talking about, I remember when I first started teaching Grapeseed and I was team teaching with this other teacher. So he was, he had already had these kids for the first five units and I was kind of just coming in and team teaching, learning the ropes, and then he was going to take back over his class. But we did this material and we got to this last question and I asked the students and the students answered not in the way that I was expecting. They answered, oh, if you, if you eat too many seeds, your, your stomach will hurt. And I was thinking to myself, oh. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, well, that's technically true of a statement. Not really what we're going for, but at the same time, there's no technical right answer, right? So it's- Oh, they're, it's they're like, not wrong. That's a lot of fiber to be taking in at one time. Like if you- <laughs> those like especially those pumpkin seeds man like at halloween if you've ever eaten a whole bunch of pumpkin seeds um or sunflower seeds as a snack like if you eat too many of those uh you're you're in for some stomach trouble <laughs> yeah well i think i think uh it's only the americans eating pumpkin seeds but i'm not sure another thing i like about this material is that it gives our students a lot of exposure to the third person singular form so adding that s onto verbs but it Obviously, we're not teaching grammar, so students aren't going to be sitting down with the teacher and the teacher saying, okay, boys and girls, when you start the sentence with I or you, you can just say the verb, but then when it's he or she or it, then you have to add an S to the verb. We don't do that, obviously. Uh, Like pumpkin plays an old piano and... Yeah, um, exactly. But then we have the, uh, a plural uh, subject, then you don't add the S. You know, like kiwi, peach, and broccoli, and they sing, um, as opposed to, you know, kiwi sings, but kiwi and peach sing. It's like, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. Like he's but it's that, through that repeated exposure that students start to understand the difference and how it's used. So we're kind of training their ears to hear what's right, just like we do in our native language. So when they're speaking in the future, they're like, oh, wait, this doesn't sound right. And they're modeling that off of what they've learned in Party in the Barn and all the exposures they've had. So if we actually look at the lesson plans here, if we open up to lesson plan 27, at the end, we're supposed to ask, what does pineapple do? And then do you push your friend on the swing? So pineapple pushes corn on the swing, right? So pineapple pushes but do right. you push your friend on the swing? Yes, I do. No, I don't. I push my friend on the swing. I don't push my friend on the swing. So the questions that you ask and the answers that you'll model for your students, if they're not able to answer in a full correct sentence, you'll also be giving your students exposure to the correct form in this way too. Yeah. And all of that, all of that meaningful exposure uh, to, to, to language that, that, you know, that, that, it's that comprehensible input. It's um, hearing correct language and then uh, adding into that makes the forming of your own thoughts. And I've, every teacher who's listening to this uh, has had that experience and has multiple stories probably of kids who come up to you uh, and will say something like, uh, me, mother, 
play piano or something like that. Just to, you know, so that kind of sense. But through time and exposure to that meaningful and correct input through stories like this, they start to get that, oh, it's, uh, yes, my, my mother, that, which is a different thing, but mother plays uh, piano. My mother plays piano. And even when we, when we recast it to students, if a student comes up and says, um, you know, says, me, mother, play piano. And uh, you'll say, oh, really? Your mother plays the piano? That's really good. I love that. I, I, I love that. Between Party in the Barn and other, other components like this and our uh, modeling and, and other strategies like recasting the correct you know, form of the language, uh, students, they, they start to use it that way on their own. And it's weird that like, because in Grapeseed, we're, we're not we're not concerned with teaching kids the form of language. They, mm. they, they understand it and they start to, they, they acquire it through exposure. What we're focused on is, is how to use the language. And by, by saying things like me, mother play piano, because what they want to do, it's, it's that functional notional part of the curriculum. It's, it's um, the function is I want to tell you about what my mother does, but to, to express uh, that kind of thing. Um, then the the notion, of course, is that is that you know my yeah, my mother my mother plays the piano and but if we go to the side of oh wait a second hold on um, the the correct uh, the correct pronoun is uh, is my and uh, now when you have a singular subject you should put an s after the verb if we do that then all of a sudden communication is gone uh, yep. it be, it, I mean we still have communication but it's communication about something uh, that's really uninteresting to a five year old uh, which is uh, <laughs> structure of a foreign language uh when what we should really be concentrated on is is oh really how awesome that your mother plays the piano that's what we're here for and that's what party in the barn helps us help our students do yeah it's a good reminder that the questions that we're asking that your lesson plan directs you to ask and the ones that you that are most effective that you come up with on your own are the goal is not to quiz students because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if students remember in unit eight that pumpkin specifically plays an old piano, right? The, the idea is that they're, they're practicing language and expressions that they can then internalize and use to express their own thoughts. Like you're talking about, it doesn't matter if like, like I'm, I'm talking about, if you're in unit 11, if you give them a quiz from unit five and say, okay, boys and girls, who played the old piano? Was it pumpkin or kiwi or peach? It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, exactly. And and ideally, and, and, and this starts to happen naturally, as long as we do everything right, as long as we are providing that, that uh, repeated exposure with meaning, uh, kids will express things to you without you having to ask them a question about it. Mm, uh, exactly. Because, yeah, like as, as teachers, we... We often feel like, oh, I have to, I have to constantly be asking my 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 students questions, um, and in a and in sort of an old-fashioned language class, that that might be true. But but when we're acquiring language, uh, like like with grapeseed, um, students, uh, of course, of course, we ask questions because we want to, uh, you know, verify that they understand. Uh, we want to give them a chance to, like, if they're not ready for a a just a an unsolicited. Uh, uh, you know, uh, utterance, then we'll ask them a question to kind of get them started and to give them some practice. But at some point, kids in, in, their, in this new language, they start doing what they're naturally wired to do, which is just to say stuff randomly. Uh, <laughs> like in every language, kids can just, just say stuff all day long. Like, 
you know, my dog is brown. Uh, you know, my grandma's old. Uh, my uh, my father has a mustache. Um, you know, they just they just tell adults things uh, often to our, often when we're really busy and we don't have time to listen to it. But as as a lang- as a grapeseed teacher. Uh, our job is to listen to those things and and to celebrate them when they say them. And the way that they are able to start saying them is because we read Party in the Barn. That's good extra context to cover for my, my kind of incomplete statement that I just made. I'm realizing that and regretting it uh, now, but going back just a little bit, of course it matters in the moment that your students understand the material enough to be able to answer the questions that you're asking about it. Because that's how we gauge if they're if they're just understanding the language. What I'm saying is that in the future, a few units down the road, students don't need to remember that specifically Pumpkin played an old piano. But we want them to internalize the language. In the moment, we want them to understand Pumpkin plays an old piano and be able to use that language function and those expressions on their own. Yeah, exactly. And. And because it's fun, like party in the barn. I remember when I, the first time I ever taught Unit Five, and I'd already become kind of, um, I guess, enchanted by the artwork in Grapeseed. But uh, party in the barn it has that artwork, and 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 of course, every any teacher who's who's taught across multiple units will have started to recognize that uh, the different styles of the different artists. And uh, the artist who does Party in the Barn, obviously, um, you can you can recognize that style of artwork and other components throughout the curriculum. Uh, I love the style of Party in the Barn, kind of like Yes I Do, uh, the chant in Unit uh, mm. Unit Four. Um, uh, you know the you know uh, Now do you see a black crow? It's that same artist and that same style, and that the artwork is vivid and colorful, and that helps students to to have fun because they're looking at something that's visually engaging and, uh, and it's, it's designed, it's designed so that kids can look at it and forget that they're in a language classroom. Uh, even if, if, if they even realize it at all at that age, um, because ideally we don't want them to come into our classroom thinking, Oh, this is where I go to learn English. But ideally they forget that they're in a language classroom at all. All that they know is that they are talking, they're listening to their teacher, they're talking with their friends, they're, uh, they're singing songs and having, having a good time uh, in an environment in which they think they're just playing and singing and enjoying stories. But they are actually, of course, uh, getting uh, meaningful input, that comprehensible input in a low-stress environment where they are encouraged, and not forced, of course, but encouraged to share their own thoughts when they're ready to do so. And they always, always rise to that because they're kids. Mm. I like your original point there about the the quality of the artwork. And it's just a great jump-off point, whether you're a brand-new teacher or a veteran teacher. The materials themselves are designed in a way to be comprehensible to the students, comprehensible, and also just engaging. So looking at the artwork specifically here in Party in the Barn, it really meets that level of excellence that we're shooting for. The pictures are so colorful, they're engaging, they're fun for the students. So as the teacher, what can you do to really make it come alive? Teachers who teach this that are really effective with Party in the Barn they utilize all the extra little tools in their tool belt to add on to the already great artwork. So pointing, gesturing, facial expressions, moving the cards, using distance. There's 
there are places in this material to do all of those things. So if we're looking, for example, card two, when we're just starting the, the story itself, some live near the barn, some live far away. When you're talking about things that are far away or near, you can move the card itself as you're telling your students. So moving it away from the students when you're saying far away and near moving the card closer to the students makes it even more effective. Onion is dirty and sad. So facial expressions right there. Pointing and gesturing, pointing to the specific fruits. So who's singing on top of that old piano that Pumpkin is playing? pointing to each of those fruits and vegetables individually really clearly to help students understand that. And then finally, gesturing, the farmer puts new hay on the floor of the barn. He grew many orange flowers and put them in boxes. So the gestures you can use for putting the hay on the floor of the barn and putting those orange flowers in boxes, those are things to think about as well. Yeah, and this is another, this is a great jumping off point for um, something that I've seen I learned a long time ago from from teachers uh, who just inspired me, which is narrating what's happening in your classroom. Uh, you know, as as when you're doing uh, other activities and or you know get, getting ready to start or getting ready to go home or in between activities when you're moving and transitioning, narrating what's happening in the classroom in the style of party in the barn for the benefit of of comprehensible input that is uh, directly related to to your kids and what they're doing. So like if you the kids come in and they say, oh, uh, uh, Rob and Susie, uh, get the chairs out. Oh, and uh, and and Gregory, uh, you know, cleans the table. Oh, and uh, I know uh, Vicky gets her bag and is uh, and makes a, uh, makes a line like you. You can talk. In, in that way, because as a teacher, we know that we're what well, we know what we're teaching. We know that we're, like you said before, about the uh, the the different forms of of you know and how how verbs and and nouns you know fit together and 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 whatnot. Um, and, and since we're not teaching that uh, explicitly, but we are teach we we know that we're teaching it through meaningful exposure. And when we talk in a way that it, it helps students understand the story more but more importantly the story helps the students understand what you say as the teacher more when you're when you're uh, narrating things in the classroom for the benefit of relevant comprehensible input perfect also even just what is it time for it is time to start the class it is time to say goodbye it is time to clean up there are so many different ways to use just that initial expression in the story yeah. So perfect. One last note I want to make before we move on to the second material we're going to talk about today. If we go back to the lesson plans here, there's another thing I really wanted to highlight. So lesson 14's lesson plan for Party in the Barn. It says, tell the story as you point to the pictures. Emphasize the ol sound in lemon, lettuce, live, hill, let's, apple, and all. It's another good example. I know we're already doing assembly lessons on the whiteboard starting in unit four, but there are these directions in the lesson plans that tell you to emphasize a certain sound in the material that really help review the phonogram students have learned. So the students have learned the all sound back in unit two, but we're reviewing it periodically and looking for opportunities to accentuate it, remind them, review that language. So they just keeps it fresh in their mind. Yeah, and and yeah, exactly. I love that uh, because the most important thing is that it's a, it's in context. Yeah, uh, 
And it's not just like, oh, let's practice. Oh, it's um, it's there. It's 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 another another layer of meaningful exposure this time to sounds, and it's in the context of a uh, of a of a colorful and relevant story. Yeah, it's all woven together because lemon, lettuce, apple, those are unit five vocabulary words, but words like hill, those come from unit four. So everything's woven together in this amazing tapestry that it all comes together to form this beautiful design. So stick with those lesson plans. They will direct you to success. So let's move on to the second material here, Miklos. Yes, indeed. All right. Next up, we have the spider's web from unit four. Shout out to Paula. It's her favorite. Yes, the spider's web. It's fun to, since stories like this have so many different characters, um, and we, we don't have to be professional voice actors to, you know, to, to, to relay a comprehensible input to students. But if we, if we make the characters come to life, even, I mean, and it's actually simple is really better because if, if you do it too much, it can be distracting and kids start laughing to the point where they are not, not listening anymore. Um, but a, a little, a little accent here and there of just like, you know, just some, some voices and to differentiate characters and to, and to draw kids in, it helps them get, you know, swept away into the story. So I would used to play a cruel trick on, um, on students by, um, get to the page where uh, I like that picture of the spider when he's got the, the napkin tied around his neck uh, and he's got the fork and knife and he's ready to eat because he's, he's, he's going, you've been a bad little bug. All little bugs. No, they cannot touch my web. And then I would skip to the, the end page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just to see some kids would be like, no. And uh, of course I would, I would quickly go back and say, Oh no, no, no. Don't worry, boys and girls. You know, the, the, the grasshopper, a, a very nice friends coming to help. Um, but it was just, uh, you know, it uh, creates a, a little, extra uh added uh, drama there little cliffhanger <laughs> breaking memory mode for student engagement yeah. very very rarely not yeah, not, yeah. The, not the most terrible thing in the world yeah well i mean it's it's one of those things where like you know we, we yeah yeah memory mode is so important uh because it's 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 the rhythm. It's, it's, um, I mean, kids will always tell you, even, even my own kids tell me when I'm reading just, you know, our, our books here at home, uh, before we go to bed, I'll, uh, I'll make a comment about something in the book or I'll be reading it and I'll just go, wait a second, do we skip a page or no, no. And my son's just like, Papa, read the story, right. And, mm-hmm. uh, cause he wants to hear the story. He likes the story. He doesn't want to hear, you know, dad's dumb comments. Your about exposition. It. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about that later. Uh, and, uh, I mean, once in a while I'll, you know, just, just like not every single time, but just for uh, just for a little uh, extra oomph, you know, do something uh, kind of silly like that. One time, one time is enough. And of course, there's a lesson to be learned. Basically, you know, listen to your mom and dad. Um, and I think the subtext there also is listen to your teacher as well, because uh, if you don't, you might get eaten by a spider. <laughs> <laughs> Circling back, as, as we are wont to do on many of the the podcasts that Miklos is a guest on, going back to the the dramatic nature of this story and using different voices. Of course, it's highly recommended. Try to do your best to really add to the drama. This is one of the earliest materials that has this really big element of drama in it. I would say that the first one is probably Mouse in the Barn in Unit 1, but then we don't really have a really dramatic story, Unit 2, Unit 3, but here in Unit 4, here's another one. So you can really put that theater major to good use if you're Miklos um, or people like him. However, also remember that 
there are target times in your lesson plan that you want to hit. So if you're trying to make a huge theatrical performance with voices and props and setting up a little stage and all these things, that can really take like half of your class and you won't be able to finish your lesson plan. So within the time that you have allotted for this specific material, bring as much drama as you can. Yeah. And, uh, I've, I've seen teachers, uh, use like uh, hand puppets and things and even just like cutouts and stuff to kind of like, um, I saw this one teacher, uh, a while back that when the, when the, the bird comes to, to rescue the, uh, the grasshopper, she had like a, kind of like a, like a little, a little cutout of a, of a, of a bird that kind of just flew in from behind her back and, and entered the story from outside. And, uh, that was really cool. Like, cause, cause, Je- gesturing of course is is critical uh, but but also seeing the bird fly in and save save the grasshopper i was like hey why didn't i think of that and it was just a little tiny you know throwaway thing a little moment but but the kids you could see they were like oh, oh here, here comes the bird's gonna come rescue the, the the grasshopper oh oh my goodness and um and she probably did that maybe just once or twice, not every time she read the story. Sometimes she probably forgot it, forgot that little bird in the drawer or something. But uh, um, even just one time, uh, just because then, then the next time the kids uh, experience the story, in their imaginations, they're going to think about that. They're going to think, oh, yeah, the bird um, flies in and then saves, saves the grasshopper. Definitely. Opening up our teacher manual here, if we're looking at the learning objectives for this material, they they focus a lot on the expression with me. Now, students had this back in the monkey poem in unit one, but this is another good opportunity to give them more exposure so students can hopefully get to the point where they're asking each other, will you blah, blah, blah with me and getting used to just using that and understanding it. So look for other opportunities in your lesson to use that expression as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all there's so many good expressions in here that can be used. Uh, w- w- one of my go-to key phrases that I, I constantly use uh, with students uh, outside of the classroom, especially when uh, uh, when their parents come to pick them up, or when their parents are around and they're listening to my interactions with kids. Um, uh, even in my role now, when I when I visit a school, I'll I'll even use it. I'll say, "Boys and girls, um, listen to your mother and father." And uh, I know that they understand what that means, even if they don't have a response to it, because they look at me like mm, they, 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 they do that quick head nod or they look at me like, mm, OK, whatever, old man. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, there's there's random reinforcement of random phrases. And then there's um, there's uh, pointed like a, like a specific reinforcement of important phrases that are not about English, but about just like being a good boy and girl. Mm, definitely. In that same vein, that phrase, you must never, is a really good one to give your students extra exposure to. So in the story, it's you must never, ever dance with a spider, right? But your students might have a, they might kind of understand it, but they might not really get that expression very well. So what I found that, that can be helpful to get your students in this mode is you can ask your students something like, what is a bad thing to do? Now, marking on walls is a bad thing to do from I like these things in unit three, right? They just had this. So students, what is a bad thing to do? Push, some students might say push or hit or something like that. You can say, yes, you must never push your friends. So you can take, you can ask a question targeting language students learned in unit three specifically, and then Mm -hmm. 
recast it into this new form of basically saying the same thing here with the expression, you must never in unit four. So that's one easy bridge to help students understand this expression while also reviewing language that they learned last unit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you must never. I, I use that a lot around my house. Uh, a lot of stuff we need to clear up about what we, what we can do and what we can't do inside the house. <laughs> Especially now that it's getting cold and there's a lot of a lot of indoor playtime. Uh, yeah, even though like my my kids aren't, uh, they're not on on this uh, uh, up up to this point in grapeseed yet. But uh, uh, the the phrase "you must never." I'm pretty sure when they when when they do get to the spider's web, they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, that's what my dad always says." <laughs> <laughs> A very useful phrase as a problems uh, with children that would be a whole nother podcast for me close uh yes exactly we'll talk about how scrambled eggs are really hard to get up off of a floor <laughs> great any other thoughts or ideas about the spider's web before we move on to our last material for the day um no not really <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on to your choice, Mikolos. I gave you the option to choose one of the materials to talk about today, and you came up with Colors Everywhere from Unit 3. Yes. The reason that I chose this one is because we I know we, we're going to focus on uh, the other two materials uh, that we're focusing on were, the, uh, were stories, and I wanted to uh, talk about a song, especially Unit 3 for me... I think uh, there. I'm sure there are other teachers out there who have the same feeling that, especially uh, for for myself, because I a, a lot of teachers, especially these days, um, they jump into teaching grapeseed um, at various points in the curriculum. Uh, I don't know if there are a lot of teachers who are like me who um, were there when grapeseed was introduced to your school, to my school, and I. I basically learned grapeseed with my students because I started teaching unit one, and then I taught I taught them sequentially. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I just I, I, fo I, I followed the journey from, from the beginning. I didn't have um, the experience a lot of teachers do of jumping in and having to teach uh, Unit 1 and 10 and 17. Um, <laughs> I would have liked to, but uh, I feel in a way that I was kind of lucky. I got to just let, I got to just let, it, um, let it kind of unfold in front of me. Uh, as, you know, just, it, was like, it was like walking down a road, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, Oh, what's, I wonder what's around this corner. Oh, because and, and every time the new unit materials would arrive at the school, I would run, you know, to the front and and uh, where they dropped it off and, and and tear it open and listen to the new songs and be like, wow, oh, oh my goodness, like couldn't wait to see what was next. Just like the kids when they get, you know, their their new uh, uh, yeah. yeah, or access to the new unit in the app, yeah, yeah. That when that when that new a lot of parents will go like, oh, we, when does the new app uh, you know, open up? And then because they're, they're looking forward to it. For me, unit three was a, was a big turning point. And this song colors everywhere. It, it just, it rings in my mind when I think about that time, because units one and two are, um, as everyone knows, very, um, it's introductory uh, English exposure. Um, you know, the, 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 the stuff that everybody teaches, whether you use a curriculum or not, you know, like, you know, body parts and animals and, um, mother and father and things like that. And, um, in a, uh, in a, of course, in a, in a unbelievably <laughs> creative and, uh, an effective way. But then unit three starts, you start to kind of see where grapeseed is really going mm. and um, just concept wise to me anyway. And, and by that, I mean, Oh, so this is a world that's opening up. It's where, uh, where this is the first time that I got the feeling that we're moving beyond, you know, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And we're really getting into 
acquiring language um, and uh, colors everywhere. The I started singing it, and, I, and this was the first time too that I started recognizing the original content of Grapeseed. You know, there there there's the um, the public domain content like. Uh, you know, like Hedgehogies and Toad, you know, Little Bitty Spider and things like that, and uh, ABC Song and things like that, that, that you'll find in any uh, English classroom in the world, um, even outside of Grapeseed. But Colors Everywhere to me was the, was one of the first times I thought, oh, like, there's a, this is, this is largely original content that is, um, that is well produced. And because Colors Everywhere to me was a, I don't know, it was a, it still is, it's a very, it, it's just a four line song and but it's 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 very it char it's charming and and again the artwork on this um is is colorful and uh and it draws students in and uh, and when i first saw it i thought okay this is it's a it's a it's like a little short song and i remember looking at this is like an old version of the teacher manual and i said okay sing the song and then ask some questions and then sing the song again and i was like okay and then I realized later on too, and even now, now that now that we have the lesson plans and uh, and a um, and a uh, and, and a wonderful updated uh, teacher manual that that helps us understand exactly um, not just how to teach, but but why we're teaching this in the first place. I I think that colors everywhere is, um, it, to me, it's like it's like the theme song of of kids early exposure to acquiring english because it's just do, do you know what i mean yeah i got you i was i'm glad you're actually saying all that because you're leading me right into what i wanted to talk about so perfect good job Nicholas. so looking in this teacher manual specifically if we're looking at those quick checks those things that i referenced a lot in the open the box podcast early exposures here are students beginning to respond with the correct color when asked what color is the blah 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 so we're just expecting simple colors. Then middle exposures, can students respond more fully when asked about colors? What color is the door? The door is green. So we're expecting simple answers. End exposures, are students able to use the language of the song to describe the classroom? So taking it out of the materials and into the classroom itself. So if we're looking not only at those quick checks, but also here at the lesson plans. So I have Lesson one, look at that, the very first lesson plan for unit three. If we look at colors everywhere, the directions, using card two, ask what color is the bird? Pause briefly before you point to it and help students respond with the color. Model the sentence, the bird is red. So even from exposure one, we're starting to model the full sentence answer for our students. Now, this is just a good policy in general, even if you're teaching another material in a future unit and you're helping your students answer with a one word answer, always model the full sentence answer to show them where you want them to go in the future. So it also says do the same for the rest of the items. So lesson one here, even in the lesson plan, we're laying the groundwork to get our students to be successful in that middle exposure and end exposure quick check that we have in the teacher manual of answering in complete sentences about the material and then about the world around them. Yeah. Oh, hey, man, by the way, what, uh, what color is your car? My car is blue. Oh, okay. Um, the car like, is blue. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, I, the reason I ask is because, um, I mean, and I, I, uh, I probably should have asked before we started having this conversation, um, 
because in, in the context of colors everywhere, I, you probably answered that way. You know, my, my car is blue. Um, but probably in, in like, if I just, if I, if someone just asked you, you know, like at the DMV, uh, say, hey, what color your car? Uh, you, you probably just go uh, blue. Um, and that's, of course, that's, 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 that, that's a natural answer. Um, and so if, if, if you ask kids like, hey, what color is the, uh, on the, on, in the, the, the teaching component, what color is the door? Uh, we want them to practice saying the door is green. Uh, but of course, we all know that uh, kids that, you know, when they, when they become uh, confident with the language, they're probably just going to say green. And, and that's fine. This, 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 uh, this component, and this is one of the other things that, that charmed me from the very first time that I started teaching. It was like, oh, so this is how you get kids to, to, to talk like this. You, you don't, you know, it's, it's not a drill. It's, it's practice and with, uh, with large heaps of modeling from the teacher. And because um, kids will even start to say things like, and when they start, when they start having those utterances, they'll say, you'll say, hey, what color is the chair? And some kids will start to say, uh, chair red, uh, or they'll just say red. And then as a teacher, you go, oh, yeah, that's always praise, no matter what they say. Or even if they just look at you and they're just like thinking, you know, they're thinking about it. And you just go, yes, the chair is red. Very good, everybody. And through that modeling with, with, with heaps of praise, they will start to speak like that. And I realized, too, at one point, like uh, when it comes to when they're learning how to talk like that, you know, the chair is red. Um, th- there's there's a period in there when kids actually can't physically say that. Like they um, they, they they go through this phase. I've seen it a, a bunch of times where you know the the kids they'll say uh, they'll they'll go from red to uh, chair red to chair is red, and then finally the chair is red because they. Um, they need time to hear it. They need time to hear it and process it. And, um, and even if they, even when they hear it, I don't know, I get the feeling, and this is not scientifically based, but I've just observed so many of my students over the years that the physical act of saying the chair is red takes a lot of listening practice with a lot of context uh, and a lot of praise. And some kids, by the end of unit three, they're not going to be able to say the chair is red. But that's okay because that's we're not going to put away that that phrase. Like uh, we're going to continue to talk about uh, things, uh, c- colors um, in a, in, a, in other contexts in the future. All of course throughout for the rest of their lives, and uh, and also say things like you know, like in this case, it's the chair is red. But uh, there's also uh, using the blank is blank. Um, in in the the innumerable contexts that are out there, like um, you know, uh, the trash is stinky. <laughs> you, know, like, um, you bring uh, up a good point, though. I'm going to grab the reins here. Oh, and good, good. Before you go on another rabbit trail, um, the this <laughs> particular material is it highlights the the fine line teachers have to walk. So, like you're saying, Miklos, it takes students a while to hear the correct form, to process it, and then be able to produce it on their own. As the teacher, you really need to be closely watching, engaging your students' level, because if you don't push them to full sentences, your students will always respond with one-word answers. Now, it's hard to know exactly, is my class ready to say a full sentence today when they weren't yesterday? There's no like obvious sign that students are completely ready to make that jump. So you have to, it's a, it's a risky move on the teacher's part, 
But if you start feeling that your students have had enough exposure that you think you can get them into that full sentence mode and you want to dig while you're asking these questions and not accept one word answers anymore, what I've seen and what I really enjoy about this material is that once that first kid says the sentence and you go over the top with your praise for it because it's amazing that they put together the sentence on their own, that spreads like wildfire through the rest of the class and the rest of the class is so excited to say that sentence and get that praise from you too. So if you're at the point as a teacher where you can dig a little bit, not take too much time, not raise your students' affective filters too much, but you can push a little bit more and get them to full sentences a little bit sooner, it's going to pay dividends for you. It's going to be amazing to see because I love seeing that in classes where I just take a couple extra, like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, even a minute sometimes, push them, say, oh, boys and girls, give me a full sentence and kind of hold up your hands and help walk them through word by word because that first kid, when they say it, oh, it's amazing. It makes the teacher feel like a million bucks and then you can see that kid feels like a million bucks when they see your reaction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they need to. Um, we we always say we don't force output, and of course we don't. But but we encourage it, and we 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 lay the groundwork for it in that mm-hmm. kind of. Because um, if we don't, you know, I mean, there's there's that sort of like uh, you know that that naturally, oh, kids will just naturally come to it, and um, and uh, that they. They might, and they they will if they had, uh, you know, like constant daily exposure to language, like their home language, uh, where, where you know parents parents don't say things like uh, like the boat <laughs> is blue. Come on, say it with me. You know, like um, they don't they don't do that because because the home language just has um, a, there's just a massive amount of exposure time that the kids are getting. But with us, because our uh, in 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 most cases, uh, the exposure time to to uh, English is uh, not as great as the home language. We need to take um, proactive steps, like you're saying, to make sure that kids are uh, that your students are are getting uh, getting to uh, to that point where they they where they're they're being encouraged uh, with. I guess uh, I guess the right way to say is proactively encouraged to. Uh, not to not to produce output, but to practice using um, complete sentences and practice, you know, because in the future, you know, like with you in, in your car, when I asked you, like, uh, normally, if I say, what color is your car? You know, you'd say, no, it's blue. Uh, and in the future, that's what kids will, will hopefully, uh, that's all they'll talk. Because if, if they grow up and say things like, you know, if someone says, uh, you know, hey, what color is your car? They say, my car is blue. Like, if they just answered everything like that all the time, like, they would, people would be like, what's up with that guy? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but in order to get to the part of your language using life where you can talk colloquially like that, like, yeah, my car's blue, um, then we have to lay the groundwork and practice, practice, practice in this way in an encouraging environment so that we know that, yeah, the well, one kind of complete way to to communicate this is saying the chair is red because then that practice will uh, it will connect to other types of uh, notions where we'll say you know the something else is something else and um, 
but yeah, draw, drawing it out, but without the students knowing it, you know what I mean? Like, like they, if they, if, if they know that they're being sort of, you know, I don't know um, what the right word is, maybe just kind of drilled on it. Like, Oh, let's say, let's say oh, the chair is right. Like it's um, they don't know it. All they know is that they're being, is that they're practicing something that will make that, that will, that will make them feel like they accomplished something and will be inspirational to the other kids who are still trying to wrap their heads and their, their mouth around this new language. And um, it's a, it's a good point because you want to, if you're pushing or digging to get them to that full sentence and they're unable to do it, then you need to be there to catch it and model again for them and then try again in the future. Uh, a good analogy is teaching somebody to swim. So Matthew does this really well when he explains the gradual release of instruction in our Grape Sea Platforms and Philosophies course video. With this swimming analogy, if you're helping your kids get to full sentences and they're unable to do it, you don't want them to just drown. And that, I mean, metaphorically drowning is raising their affective filter, right? So you want yeah. to be there to catch them and model the full sentence answer, but they're not going to be able to learn to swim on their own unless you let them go and try to let them swim by themselves without you holding on to them all the time. Right. So it's a yeah. fine line to walk, but... If you're, if you're right on the cusp of understanding the level that your students are at and you're providing a challenge that's just slightly above where their level is currently and you're continually doing that day after day, you're going to see amazing growth in your kids. Yeah. Combined with, I, I think I've said it on, on, on here before, you can never praise kids too much in your grade classroom. Like, because uh, even, even if they, even if they, don't say something. And, and as long as they're not misbehaving, they deserve praise for, for listening and for, 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 for thinking about what their words are going to be. Because um, yeah, like that, that praise is, is what goes into the mix that becomes confidence. And like exposure to language and, and, and uh, meaningful language, that comprehensible input is a critical ingredient. But the, without the confidence to open your mouth and make uh, make a sound, you can't do it. Like you you can you you can get comprehensible input, you know, day in and day out. But if you don't have the confidence that comes from the the love and the praise of your teacher and your friends and your and and the other grown ups around you, then then all all of your thoughts are just going to stay inside of you. And I think and that goes for your for your native language as well. Like uh, people who there are people out there, um, and we might some of us might know some who who have. Uh, they, we know that they have thoughts because they're humans, um, but for some reason they don't have the confidence to speak or to speak up. And I don't know if it's you know, there, there are other things besides praise that that yeah, go into creating confidence. But uh, uh, but uh, yeah, like you said, low affective and uh, low affective filter environment and praise and and of course um, encouragement. Like uh, encouragement is like because well, yeah, like I said before, like when we say we don't force output. But we do encourage it proactively. Um, that's I think that's where we're at with that because yeah, we have to. We do have to get kids to the point where yeah, don't you can do it. Like like with the swimming analogy, don't worry. I'm gonna let my hands go for just a second, and you might start to kind of go, you know, kind of sink down in the water just a little bit. But flat, you know, flap your arms. <laughs> but and I'm right here to catch you if you can't do it. Don't worry about it. So like, you do your thing, 
try it out. Um, little by little, you'll, you'll gain confidence. And um, before you know it, you'll be swimming and you, you'll leave me behind in, in your wake. Exactly. So it's, it's walking that fine line of affective filter versus pushing for greater output if you think you can. So if you think that your students are going to be able to achieve something and you're only raising their affective filter slightly, then it might be worth going for it. But if you foresee that if it's, for example, exposure two to this material, like really early on in the unit and you're really focused on getting students into full sentences on exposure two, you're likely to raise your affective filter very high while you're trying to push because you're pushing too early. So try to keep that in mind. If you if you think you can dig a little bit, push a little bit and get your students to a higher level, but you're only increasing effective filter slightly, then maybe go for it that day. But if you don't if you feel like it's going to really adversely affect your affective filter, then maybe save it for a future exposure. Yeah, as teachers one of the reasons why we might feel compelled to to push a little too hard or or to 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 um to err on the side of you know forcing output uh, is because uh, teachers are under a lot of pressure uh, to show the results of what they're doing, and when you know I mean parents come for open house and they want to see they want to see their kids speaking in English because uh, they're you know they're paying money and uh, they're sending their kids to your school all the time and uh, uh, that. You know the time commitment and everything. They want to see the result, and uh, and as a teacher, you're thinking, okay, I got to get these kids to talk, or else you know that people are going to think I'm not doing my job. And so there's that pressure that'll lead us to 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 go too far down that you know that that road. But like you said, if we if we do push too hard and we and we focus everything on just getting output, then the opposite outcome will actually happen. Like uh, you'll have kids with a high affective filter who are not confident. And uh, don't feel encouraged to speak, and even maybe a little bit scared uh, that they're disappointing their their teacher by saying not maybe by not saying something or not saying something right or or anything in between. They just um, they'll lose that confidence and that joy that we're supposed to be nurturing. And when which when is there when, when you have that when you have that that non forced output when you have that um, that non stress environment, kids will speak. And on open house day. Uh, it will be a, an amazing, joyful experience. But then again, too, on open house day, uh, maybe the kid who usually talks a lot doesn't talk because his mom's there and, uh, you know, what can you do? But uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes the more you force, you know, you, you, you said it, man, like uh, it's the fine line uh, between, um, between uh, proactive encouragement and, and forcing. Because, you know, even as adults, if someone forces you to do something, you're less motivated to do it. You know, ask any, ask any 11-year-old who, uh, whose mom is harping on him to clean his room, you know, being told, you know, forced is... Or uh, our wives telling us to do something, some chore around oh, the house. We got some weeding outside I got to do. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but like the, but the encouragement and the, um, the safe environment is is what gets the best results yeah that safe environment the low effective filter that's your base that you always need to keep things grounded in but there's no there's no replacement there's no substitute for that amount of pride that a student will feel if he is really able to impress you if they are really able to impress you with the sentence that they've come up with so don't don't sacrifice everything to get that sentence out. But if you can get it, 
oh boy, it's, it's gonna, it, it sets a culture in your classroom for full sentences from then on. You, like I said before, that once that first kid says it, then you'll see other kids trying to come up with things on their own too. And then things just take off. So try to get there and you're going to get there in this material going back because we're talking about yeah. colors everywhere, right? You're going to get there that. because the whole focus is on that. But just think about that fine line as you're trying to make that jump from your students going single word answers to full sentence answers. Yeah, unlike a lot of other components, this component is specifically for um, the uh, for, for, for practicing uh, a fuller response than just a single word. The door is green. So yeah, like 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 you were saying when you're in the classroom, and I've had this this, this exchange so many times. Like so be like teachers listening have um. You know, you say, "Hey, boys and girls, what color is the door? What color is the door?" Uh, and then the, the 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 one the one boy or girl goes, "A, a door, door is green." And you go, "The," and they go, "The door is green." And you go, "Hey, Robbie said, Robbie said the door is green. Can everybody clap your hands." Oh, that was really good. You know, boys and girls, what did Robbie say? The door is green. That's right. He said the door is green. Oh my goodness, that was great. Let's do. Let's, okay, what color is the chair? And having that kind of moment where that that is exactly it that is good good point thank you for reinforcing that for me is that the the praise is amazing but once you you praise the student repeat what they said oh boys and girls did you hear what bobby said bobby said the door is green or the chair is red or whatever the sentence was because that gives the students that don't quite have it yet one extra exposure. It shows them exactly where your expectation now is. And that just, it's so motivating because Bobby's getting praised and all the other students will want to get that too. And they'll try extra hard in that next 10, 20 seconds. Yeah. And then they start to hear it too. They're just like, wait a second. So what's the difference between door is green and the door is green? Like, Oh, now, Oh, so Bobby's getting, uh, I think it was Robbie actually. Uh, Robbie's getting praised for saying the door is green. Well, I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> the, the, like the light goes on for some kids, and they're like, "Well, if all I do is add, you know, add the at the beginning, I can do that." Exactly. And then uh, and it's wildfire. It just it spreads so fast, and it's amazing to see. And it's the best classes I've seen other teachers teach are when that those light bulbs start going off. It just ping, 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 ping around the classroom, and they're all you can see them sit up more, big smiles come up. They're starting to shout out their answer sometimes because they're so excited to communicate what they have in them. And now they understand what you want them to say. So it's great. Uh, actually, um, I do. I, now I, I just remembered a, a very quick anecdote about this uh, component because... Uh, uh, to wait, end on. Yeah, yeah. When you just mentioned like the ping, 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 ping. Um, uh, years ago, there was this, uh, this this class that I had, and uh, um, that that happened. But uh, all of a sudden, the kids uh, the, the light went on, and uh, they're just like, "Oh, oh, uh, the toy is orange, the bird is red," and they just start like just just saying stuff without even me asking. And uh, on a subsequent day, I remember uh, some kids starting to come to my classroom, and uh, this one little boy comes in, and I'm I'm just you know making sure all the chairs are arranged and the kids are coming in, and this boy just comes in and starts point. He starts just pointing at stuff and just uh, just uh, telling everybody uh, me especially on um, what color so he walks in the room you know like a boss and um he just points like mr me close he's like the carpet is green the floor is white uh the wall is white 
the you know the paper is black um and then he looks at me he he points to the um to the window and that uh, at that point like i mean even the window is not a a word that uh, kids in unit three know but he he knew it and he just goes he goes a window uh, the window is and he looks at me with like that kind of like uh, expression of uh, what because he doesn't he doesn't know how to ask what color is yet uh he, he's heard me say it, but he doesn't he's like the window is and i just look at him and i was just like i, I gave it a second because i was like okay i want to know what you're about to say because <laughs> the window is not a color at all and um and i uh i waited for him he looked at me just like help me <laughs> and um i just go oh yeah uh the the window is um the window is uh clear the window is see-through and he just he's like he, he looked at me just nodded and he moved on he's like you know uh the the toy is red uh the box is blue and uh it was fun because he just he just came out he came in that day with just the confidence and just the just this, this that zest for life. He's like, you know what? I know what to say now, and I'm going to tell you everything until I get tired and, and quit. That's perfect. Great story to end this on. And that that really is a microcosm talking about colors everywhere here. But this is a really big culture building tool. Because this tool focuses so much on you modeling and getting your students to be able to say this full sentence answer by the middle exposures and by the end exposures, expressing themselves about things outside of the material, this is where you can really lay the groundwork for, okay, boys and girls, we're in unit three now. Once you get students saying that full sentence, then unit four, unit five, you can start raising those expectations up of Okay, one more answers. Maybe the first couple exposures, they're okay now, but really trying to baseline full sentences as much as possible where appropriate. Of course, there are going to be some materials in later units where students won't be able to put that full sentence answer together, and that's okay. But use this as kind of a starting point or just a, a bedrock foundation from this point on. You're going to get students to full sentences as much as you can. Yeah, man. <laughs> so great. So that will do it for us on this episode. So if you have any ideas for other materials, any of your own personal favorites that you want to hear us talk about or hear me and some other coach talk about, we'll see. Send those in to mailcarrier at grapeseed.com. And as always, thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. a good day but now i will say goodbye my friends goodbye goodbye everyone <laughs>